So, man, it's just kind of nutty how great a guitar player I have on the show for you today, folks. Mr. Greg Cock. That's a tune off his new album, Vivid Gristle. It's very prolific. He gave me a stack of albums when I visited him in Milwaukee. I remember when I first heard him, I was chilling with Matt Blackett. We were at Guitar Player Magazine headquarters. That was back in the San Mateo days. And this album came across our desks called The Grip. Sometimes you hear stuff and you just, you're instantly interested. Turns out Greg is one of the deepest cats on the fretboard I've ever met. He dives so deep into every approach and just kills it. And also, he's hilarious. I remember Matt Blackett, associate editor at Guitar Player, immediately did a feature on Greg, which was well-deserved. And I immediately made him a columnist for Guitar Player magazine. And oftentimes, I would just interview him over the phone to get this content from him. And the stuff that would come straight out of his mouth, off the cuff, was just amazing. For instance, one time we were talking about the tritone, and he was talking about how the monks in ancient days found it to be the one interval that was the devil's interval, you know, as it's sometimes called, the flatted fifth. Here's what he said right off the cuff. I just got to read this to you. He said, when the monks messed with the root and the flatted five, they got the tritone and they deemed it the tonus diabolicus or the devil's interval. Why? because they thought it conjured up the spirit of Satan himself, and in medieval times the use of this interval was prohibited. But personally, I think those robe-wearing, beer-drinking, scalp-shaving sons of bitches were just a tad on the scaredy-cat side. Wouldn't you agree? They were afraid of the power that would later be unleashed whole-scale by Slim Jim Page and his band of miscreants known as Led Zeppelin. That's fucking brilliant. There's so much I love about Greg Cock. For one thing, he can play the blues. Greg is also an incredible product demo guy and apparently passing 25 million views now of of his Wildwood videos. He demos guitars for Wildwood guitars. They have amazing axes. 
he plays a lot of them and introduces you to each one personally. Be careful. If you watch one of those videos, you might just be three minutes later ordering a badass Fender or Gibson custom shop. He plays just about every technique you can imagine. Like, he's a real slide player. We're going to get into some seriously, I think, really deep slide stuff. So hold on to your hats, as well as a bunch of other stuff. All his albums are available on his website, gregcock.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-O-C-H.com. You know the great guitar gear company, Fishman. They got themselves a great artist in Greg Cock and have introduced the Greg Cock Fluence gristle tone pickups. Greg is kind of into gristle. Gotta check that out. I'm a little concerned about that, but we'll, we'll look into this whole gristle fetish. But yeah, you're going to probably want these pickups too. So be careful after listening to this episode, you're probably going to buy a Wildwood guitar and some gristle tone pickups from Fishman. Just warning you. Yes, Greg is always up to something. He's already working on his next record. He's got also a great book on playing slide guitar and standard tuning. And if you ever thought that you couldn't play soulful, bluesy slide in standard tuning, this episode will completely get you rearranged on that. You're about to do a 180 on that trip. I can't say enough about Greg. You know, I've known him for a long time now, and one time when I was touring with B-Times 3... was the three-headed bass monster that featured Stu Ham, Billy Sheehan, and Jeff Berlin on bass, and I was playing guitar, and John Mater was on drums. Well, when we came through Milwaukee one snowy day, that evening, Greg Cock came out, and it was awesome. I let him play guitar, and he was just decapitating. I love this guy. Six-foot-five, awesome beast. Man Squatch, as he sometimes refers to himself, on guitar. My gosh, there's no one quite like him. That's a man right Before we get rolling, just a couple of quick gear shout-outs. I want to thank Line 6 again for loaning me this Helix. I'm really digging it. It's incredible for tracking. I use it in the studio all day long. Also, Beth Marlis at Musicians Institute hooked me up with a beautiful moody strap. This thing is A+, very comfortable, and uh, I'm proud to have that thing. And again, I'm still using the Amp 1 from uh, Blue Guitar. That thing's great. I use that on gigs where there's no guitar amp and only a cabinet. I fly in and throw that thing on the floor. 100 watts of savagery right there in a pedal. To borrow an adjective from Greg Cock. So yeah, let's get to the show. I was doing a gig with Kathy Richardson in Chicago. And I was booking the travel. And you know what, folks? It's very rare, but every once in a while, I have a good idea. I thought, why am I leaving on a Friday at 10 a.m. back to L.A.? I'm going to move my plane to 5 p.m., get a rental car, drive the two hours up to Milwaukee, 
behind the cheddar curtain, as Greg would say, and interview Greg Cock in his, in his guitar lair. I'm going to face the beast himself. I just love this guy, and uh, it was very cool of him to have me over one morning. Brought him like a quad espresso Americano, something supremely diabolical to get us going. Started playing around 11.30. It was just a beautiful trip, you know, just sometimes all the world is great. Beautiful drive, Midwest summer storms pouring through like, you know, that cool rain. The big lake over there. Gotta love it. America. Lest I forget, I must thank Guitar Player Magazine for continuing to support my podcast. And of course, GuitarPlayer.com. Follow them on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. I'm there too. I'm on Twitter, Jude underscore gold. Same with Instagram. And we got the No Guitar is Safe Facebook page, which before I forget, you're going to hear some crazy techniques on this episode. And yes, I filmed a whole heck of a lot of them. So I'm going to pop some of those up on the Facebook page. All right, let's get in the rental car. I mean, sorry, wait. Let's get in the helicopter, the guitar copter, and fly up to Milwaukee to hang out with Greg Cock. No guitar is safe. All right. Oh, sweet. How did you make that one note go down? Oh, that's, that's a Dwayne Allmanism. Um, <laughs> you know... So you just oh, you just pre-bend it. So when I go down here, like, a, yeah, you know, I'll just go a half step down and bend it up. The way you put that in the lick was that uh, it almost sounded like you know, yeah, it sounds like a magic, a whammy bar of some sort, or you know, people to grab the string and push it. Right, exactly. One of those things. Um, gosh, what are you holding there? Uh, this is uh, a Fender Custom Shop 55 uh, Wildwood 10 Telecaster. So, uh, you know, I do all those videos for Wildwood, which has been gloriously fun. And uh, it's actually probably improved my playing exponentially because I get basically paid to practice. <laughs> and uh, but this is a guitar that I got also with my new signature pickups on it with, from Fishman. Um, but I like it because it's a flatter radius. You know, it's ten inch radius, sixty one oh five frets. It's really light, quarter saw neck. It, it's just it sounds. Yeah, good. Yeah, I see you playing it quite a bit. Is it kind of your go to thing? It, right it now? has been. Yeah, I mean, I just got that Whitfield, which I really really like, and I'm which I'm holding. Yes, and uh, I do miss having these pickups in there though because those pickups sound great with the volume full up, but as soon as you back off, it gets a little muddy and just you know the normal stuff that single coils do whereas these are totally quiet you don't lose any highs it has two voices it kills how do they keep it no there's no buzz on them really there's no buzz but when you get them what happens is in order to you know that whole fluence technology that we that larry came across with the way that the coil is made um in order for them to be hum canceling to have multiple voices and all that kind of stuff when you get the pickups you get not only the pickups but you get this control panel and then you get right. this input jack down here which or output jack depending on how you like oh, to yeah, look yeah. at it and there's a little mini usb thing down there where you can actually you, you charge the pickup which was originally i was like i don't want anything that has to be charged but they're like really because you get two voices that sound unbelievable and they're totally noise free and with a single charge you get 300 hours of playing time I'm like well 300 hours is a long ass time so it's it's not it's been a non-issue especially in a day and age when you know, we're charging up our cell phones at least twice a day. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So it's not a big deal. Can so, you show us what those sound like, those two sure. different pickups? So this is uh, the bridge pickup um, in what is, uh, we call the white guard sound. So it's more of like a, you know, early 60s telling. sauce in the morning. Uh. And then no buzz. So the second voice is more of a black artillery, so I go from this. Grizzly. Do you think that, like, you know, there's so many noiseless pickups out there, but that they always sacrifice one little two or three percent or something? Is I this... got to be honest, that's usually the case. And what it, there's no better example of that than when you have your so-called noiseless guitar, which we all had in the past. You had that one go-to guitar that I know I'm doing a session over at Joe Blow's, and this place is wired for you know, God knows what. But there's a horrible RF problem or whatnot. Or, you know, the clubs that are absolutely untenable. You add any gain, and it's going to be just a buzz fest. So you always had that one guitar that had whatever iteration of noiseless pickup that you thought was the best at the time. But then every time you would play that guitar, put it down, and grab your actual single-coil guitar when you could do that without all the noise, you're like, well, shit, the other one sounds so much better. So with these pickups, we actually went back and forth. We had a shuttle guitar, meaning, you know, we had, if it was a Tele or a Strat or a Les Paul, we had a guitar where the back was routed out so that we could unplug... Um, the Fluence version of the pickup and then plug in the actual single coil pickup that we were kind of aiming for and go back and forth immediately. Not like yep. in a different guitar where there's all kinds of variables. You know what I mean? Not like 20 minutes later after a bunch of soldering. Exactly. And so being able to do that, what we uh, ended up thinking, is, at least what I ended up thinking is that I actually preferred the sound of the Fluence pickup. And now I know that's the case because I have a hard time using anything else. So... Uh, for instance, like on the, the Les Paul that I have, I've got, or on my 335, uh, the 335 I got was a uh, 63 reissue with, you know, the great pickups that Gibson makes. And it was a big, beefy sounding beast. Uh, but the Fluence pickups and the Les Paul, they sound more like the old Les Paul pickups, which is bright, underwound, not a whole lot of output, you know, mm -hmm. and I didn't lose any highs when I turned down the volume. And literally, I can go from playing the Tele, the Strat, plug in the Gibson, and with the Fluence pickups, and I don't have to touch the EQ on the guitar, on the amplifier, or on my pedals, or any of that kind of stuff. And you know how it is. Yeah. If you have a rig set up for a Strat or a Tele, and you put on a Les Paul, it's like it's Mudsville. Maybe you can get away with the bridge pickup with a lot of gain on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, like, so, yeah. but this is not that issue at all. I literally can grab the Les Paul, put it on, and it sounds like a glorious Les Paul. I don't have to touch EQ, nothing. I don't know why that is, but I'm just glad that it is. And it's non-invasive too, because you got the little power jack right built in to like a typical telly exactly plate. so like for instance on the it's telecaster so uh you know it's a mini usb uh plug-in like a cell phone charger right underneath the quarter inch jack on the underside <laughs> of the guitar and uh as i said one charge is about an hour and a half you get 300 hours of playing time so that's been really cool on, on the les paul it's actually um 
on the back plate here where I plug it in right here. Gotcha. Uh, on the 335, they had to do a custom job for me where it's actually under the pick guard. So if you look right here, it's uh -huh. right there. But they fished Check it you through. out. They fished it through the F hole security. And on the strat, <laughs> it's on the tremolo uh, uh, case on the back. Oh, yeah. On the back plate. That's what I was aiming for. Gotcha, right. <laughs> the back plate. Um, so, yeah, it, that's been a very, very cool thing. I mean, it's, it, you know, with, as everyone knows, we were just talking about before we went on, went on the air, as it were. In this day and age, you have to be very, very resourceful in order to make a living as a musician. You just, you got to do it. And um, when they approached me about these pickups, I was, I mean, I've been very, very fortunate in the fact that, you know, I make a, a decent amount of dough doing the Wildwood thing and, and my, my Hal Leonard stuff and certainly playing with the band and doing whatever I do, uh, that when uh, Fishman approached me about these pickups, I was, I, I really didn't have to do it. Not that I, you know, am wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but as I put it, you know, there's only so many days in the month, you know what I mean? You want to yeah. have some value to your life and not do stuff that you don't need to do, right? So uh, when- And you've got to maintain your thousand air status. Well, exactly correct. Correct. Thousand air status is always tenuous. As I said this morning when I was doing one of these live Facebook things, I said, I've managed to make enough money that I could buy most of you a delicious fresca right now. Cold and delicious, sparkling with quasi citrus flavors. But be that as it may. So when the fishing people uh, talked to me about this stuff, I was like, eh, what powered pick? I don't, you know, I really didn't give a shit, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, but then Richie Fliegler, who was talking to me about it, who I worked with with Fender quite a bit, and I always had respect for Larry Fishman. I mean, all of his other stuff has been great, and he's always been a cool guy to me when I'd met him before. Uh, he said, just come out here and hear these things. I guarantee you it, it's be worth your while. And so when I came out and I started messing with him, just from a purely selfish point of view, I was like, well, this would be something I would use whether I was affiliated with him or not. And then being kind of on the cutting edge of it was really, really cool. So it's been a very kind of one of those very fortuitous kind of twists of unexpected fortune that I've enjoyed. Right. They sound great. And yes, Rich, Richie Fliegler, he's the gentleman who is. Yes. On the great industry stalwart and legend. Oh, and indeed. Going business. back to the Marshall days, he was a, yeah. a marshalsman for quite some time. And then he was a, a senior vice president yeah. of marketing for Fender Musical Instruments for quite a spell. Yeah, he's done so much. And uh, he explains in detail, because we don't even, even have time to go into it, but it's really interesting how they actually wire those pickups. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Fluence. And well, I think it's important to say yeah. also that it's, it's yeah. not modeling, because yeah. not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah. this is just a different way of making the coil. So it's more consistent, and you can voice it any way that you want, but they still have magnets, and they still function yeah. as pickups. And he's on the Amps and Axes podcast, if anybody wants to check Amps that out. Amps and Axes! So that's you, that's a new theme song, I think. Yeah. That little, <laughs> Amps and Axes! <laughs> yeah, they would love you for that, man. <laughs> they probably so you're getting some coffee in you? It's 11.30 a.m.? Yes. I, man, last time I was here was with Stu Ham, and you came out on a snowy, snowy evening and decapitated some folks at the... Shank Hall with a at the Shankster Hall. Yes, uh, we, we were. We did a blistering in. version of Crossroads, as I remember. Yes, yes, that was uh, too short. It went by too fast. That was good Shank. times. You know, I love your blues on uh, your Stormy Monday on the live on the radio. Yes, 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 yes. yes <laughs> Greg yes. Cock and other bad men. Yes. <laughs> you want to play a little slow blues or warm up or sure, anything? Absolutely. I, no problem. I love hearing you stretch out, man. It's just it's crazy, crazy delic. Just make sure I'm in tune. This guitar was in the. In the basement of broken dreams, and as a result, it's be a little, a little persnickety. Okay, let's do it. Everything you say sounds like a, an album title. Basement <laughs> of broken dreams. <laughs> this is the. I also sometimes call it the basement of managed expectations. 
I want to do a little blues and G? Sure, whatever. Right, here we go. Uh, like that fuck yeah that right there is worth a drive from chicago today. <laughs> dude you're just crushing me with that with, with you all the stuff you were just doing right there and well you know <laughs> i um i just like playing guitar <laughs> i just like yeah. it now show me the very last thing you did it's kind of like for me i'm thinking chet atkins steve morse is where i first saw that uh yeah it's um it's kind of a variation of uh what would be a uh, lap steel lick, so I'm just doing kind of that um, what I like to call the T-Bone Walker version of the ninth chord. And I've got my pinky actually getting the B string and the high E string there at the third fret. But I'm not using the root note, so basically the, the third is in the bass. So what I'm doing is I'm doing string skipping with harmonics. So I'm holding my pick with my middle finger and uh, thumb, and then I'm using my first finger on the A string and my middle, f no, sorry, third finger on my right hand is going to hit the G string. So there's, there's always string separating. So I go. 
So those three, it goes A string, G string, simultaneously, double stop, and then uh, D string, B string, and then G string, high E string. And then I go up, slide up a half step and just go top down. I am. I'm doing the harmonic with on the on the lower string. Okay, of course. So yeah. And you just touch the harmonic and then pick behind it on the same string. Correct. Yeah. And then That's when you're so. doing the harmonic, you're obviously doing it 12 frets up from yeah. the note that you're fretting with your left exactly. hand. And you know, I did bit. some wonderful, like, just, you know, dude, I'm on three hours of sleep. I can barely, That's all right. I can barely complete a sentence. <laughs> but those, those tone swells, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. with the bends, sort of a pedal steel bend mixed together. Yeah. You know what? Unfortunately, my volume control here is, uh, I've, I've been mangling so much, it's kind of stripped. But uh, uh, what I'm doing basically is a... I'll do various different um, voicings. You know, basically I'll take any voicing and bend it. So uh, over a G I can bend, you know, the ninth. I can bend the 13th. So Another what chord are you starting out with on one of those? You start off with like the... Uh, so I like the, the G9th yeah. here up at the, at the 10th fret and I pre-bend it up like a half step-ish. Mostly the lower strings because the high string would fall off the fretboard Correct if you did that. Correct, the mundo, yeah. And then uh, this version of the 13th. And then this one. It came out so aggressive sounding when we were in the heat of the blues. The heat of battle, yeah. It's like. Because I don't know if that was your distortion or something, but it sounded almost like a tone thing. Yeah. And then I'll do because, the, the, the tone thing right, as well. So when I'm doing that kind of the, the cat on steroids thing, I'll have the volume full up and then I'll grab the tone control. <laughs> couple interesting harmonic sort of things in there too like picking pick harmonics or pinched uh yeah really yeah, yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a cool I, I do this Roy Buchanan thing all the time I can't help it yeah. uh like a uh, basically you're bending the string up and then yeah. back so so then you get that double whip thing in oh. exactly <laughs> and then when you hit the harmonic with it like hang on yeah, it's dirty. I love that. And then I know when you hit that third right there, like that's 14 cents flat from what the tuner. Play that third again. It's so the, the, pure. The, the, I think, yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's the sweet spot. A yeah. tuner would tell you you were flat, but... Yes. I love Strange it. sounds. Forbidden sounds. 
This doggone volume thing, damn Ooh. Let me grab, let that me grab my... That comes from way too much guitar mangling right I'll there. I'll be right back. Hold on to that thought. Folks, he ripped the volume knob off the Telecaster. It happens. It's a savage world we live in. A world of savagery! That song called oh. World of Savagery, June, just yes. in case you're wondering. I can't keep up with all your song titles. <laughs> there are two... A flotilla of gems! So let's listen to a tune off your new record, yeah. David Grissel. Yes. You know what's kind of a fun one? There is a song called, um, well, Them's the Breaks is a good one. People like oh, yeah. that song. I was listening to that, but I, did you have a different version of that? Uh, there was. Yeah. Actually, there was a, a version that was on. The reason why yeah. I recorded it again with this particular ensemble, it was on the very first tape that we, we did a tape. That was our first release back yeah. in 1990, and that was the, it was the title track of Them's the Breaks. Right, right, right. And then I recorded it again on a record I did called uh, Four Days in the South. But this one we did kind of laid back. Um, and I started it off with actually the riff from this tune of mine called um, Hey Godzilla, which is on the um, Plays Well With Others record. And it's kind of got this swampy. Uh, Juicy, you know what I mean? Love it, dude. Uh, so, I want to play drums on that. <laughs> exactly. And then it breaks into the tune, which has this little riff that's... But that's kind of a fun one because there's yeah. all kinds of little morsels in there for the kids. And how'd you record this team? Dems of Breaks, new version. Uh, we did it live in the studio um, and I used two Vibraluxes uh, and I only had the amps on about two and three because we didn't want them to bleed into the drum mics. Uh, and for that particular recording, I'm using my Gristle King pedal today, or an iteration of it, a new iteration called the Triple Gristle, which has a fuzz on it as well. Uh, but I actually used a Jetter GS124 pedal, which is kind of a Dumble-esque pedal that I really, really like. Because it, it dwells in the realm between an overdrive and a fuzz. The highs are real mitigated, but it just, it, it, it's fat. And forgiving. Yes, and it just sits in a mix in a very, very unique way. Um, that's really, really cool. So I ended up using that pedal on that record. And so, and I also split the signal with uh, Neo Instruments Ventilator, which is what I use for my rotating speaker effect, and I use it a lot of that recording. Another detour sign, just up ahead. Another wrong turn, or was I just misled? I use it a lot in the Wildwood videos. Everyone always says, what kind of rotating speaker do you think of? I'm using a Neo Instruments ventilator. It's a German company. 
Uh, their marketing is a little suspect because even when I'm in Germany using it, people are like, what's this pedal? Sorry, it's a horrible German accent. But uh, I say, it's well, it's a German pedal. It's this company, Neo Instruments from Germany, uh, the ventilator. They, now they've got a, a mini vent that I also use. Um, but to me, it's Great. the best rota- rotator, uh, rotating speaker simulator because it's easy, I think it's easy to do the fast thing. There's a lot of yeah. good pedals that sound good fast, but doing that slow, slowing down and then staying slow and actually not farting out the amp, the guitar speakers, as it were. Uh, this one really sounds good. And you can, on that particular tune, you can really hear it in the slow. It's just like, yeah, it sounds good. For the um, uh, for the uh, uh, chorus and for the main part of the song, I'm using it. Okay, and then once once I go into the the lead, it's just I turn it off. I don't, I don't usually like a bunch of muckety muck on when I when I go for yeah. the jugular. But gristle, Why, what's your fascination with the word gristle, Greg? Nah, well, this is a good question. Um, years ago, how it all started was, uh, I was a little wild back in the day, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you know, everyone thinks they're wild when they're younger, and I'm probably no exception to the uh, realm of, um, shall we say, uh, pirates of the night. And uh, after a particular gig, uh, we went to our favorite late night eating establishment, we were in a quasi-altered state of mind due to the ingestion of, of various inebriants. And uh, a great food fight ensued. Ensued. Ensued? Uh, and there was uh, a, a, some particular gristle from a, uh, a steak that was uh, deployed uh, in a variety of different ways. And ended up hanging from, um, I believe, the sign of the Oriental Theater next door to the uh, Ma Fisher where we were eating. And somehow the, the term gristle and our inebriated, uh, we just started riffing on, on gristle. And then when we would, uh, we would refer to gristle as, you know, uh, shall we say a slovenly encounter the, uh, with the opposite sex might have gristle involved. Or a savage and torrid musical exchange might be referred <laughs> to as pounding the gristle. So that became a thing. Pound the gristle! And people in our crowds would yell it and so on and so forth. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. So... Um, that's how it started. And then I used to say it's the intersection where, you know, where there's fat, there's flavor. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, there, that's, that's the, uh, the, the, the short answer. <laughs> hey, man. Well, you've had a wonderful life of gristle. Yeah. Well, and it's also good for describing then. tone. You know what I yeah. mean? Gristly tone. And, you oh, know, yeah. it's just kind of one of those things that encompasses all that is right and all that is wrong. <laughs> it's just a great word. Great spelling. Mm. Grizzly bear. Gris, sweet, sweet gristle. Let's play another jam of some kind. That Absolutely. was another savage morsel. Yes. What? You, I don't know. I love everything, man. You got the. Uh, well, I mean, if you do cover tunes, you can throw one of your grooves at me. I'd love to just jam on something, or we could do. A, oh, let's do a, a little. Uh, people like the the funkified uh, Mrs. Buckley. We could do that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a great tune. <laughs> Thank you. 
Distracted me from the four with all that crazy slide. That's right.
point in there I just you know get a new guitar in my hands and everything. like a or something I just remembered a quote we, we had you at MI once doing a clinic and you and you talked a lot about vibrato yes where do you even start with a subject like vibrato I remember you said some people do a vibrato like this and they're like that person needs a hug they need therapy too I'm not the person to give that to them or yes something. <laughs> well you know um there was an interesting, and I'm sure most people have seen it, but if you haven't seen it, um, there is a clip of Eric Clapton in the Cream era when he had the long red hair and the mustache and he had the psychedelic painted, you know, the fool SG. And they're doing an interview with him and he's plugged into the Marshall. It sounds glorious. It must have been louder than the word of God, but he's just having an interview like we're doing, hanging out. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can do this. And, his, and he demonstrates his vibrato. And it was just the coolest sounding thing. And I remember back then, I mean, I really was into different vibratos. You know, Clapton in his cream era had a particular vibrato. Let's hear it. Because you can uh, do sure. it. I don't know uh, how you do it, but uh, I've seen you do it. All that kind of stuff. I love it. But especially that... Now, I'm totally interrupted your story, but what's the secret of the Clapton vibrato? I, I have no idea, other than just listening to what he does and trying to cop it. You're um, kind of going... I mean, for, for one thing, when you're doing um, the floating vibrato, which I mean, it's, it's that your, your finger's more perpendicular to the string, and you're actually floating up and then back down again. Uh, the only real contact point with the neck is that tip of that finger. I mean, there's a certain tone yeah. that happens when you do that. Well, most people are um, all about, you know, anchor yourself with the thumb or the hand and do the vibrato. And, and there's there's different ways of doing that, too. But the Clapton thing, especially yeah. on, the, on the higher string. And, and there's yeah. other weird stuff he does. Like, he goes up on the D string. Doing, I, I can't do it, but uh, I, I do it more going down first. Also, Ben's like that yeah. when he does like... The reason why it sounds so cool is that he starts from ground zero. Most of us already like pre-bend it like... Whereas he goes... You know what I mean? It's like he starts at zero and does that triple. Another cool creamism is when he would do the double stop and always hit the, the, hit yeah. the double stop twice on the way up. So I'm off to the races. Dude, you're fucking making it sing. Pardon my 
cheesy French here. Did I interrupt your story, by the way? So you're just watching this video. Anyways, well, that's uh, just it reinforced um, what I thought was the significance of vibrato because he said, "Look, you know, this can take a very long time to get just this one thing." He did the same way. Like a bent a string like that or something. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Because that, that was what attracted me to playing guitar was that blues vibrato thing. Yeah. And the and the different guy, you know, Albert King and BB King and you know, and I would notice the way, well, Jeff Beck does things a certain way, but I always kind of gravitated more to Clapton because, you know, Beck's playing was always kind of weird and angular and which was cool and it's yeah. for another thing. But whereas Clapton had this vibrato which was unspeakable. And still to this day, I mean, uh it's really really never been done better than what he did you know what i mean you're convincing you're making a very convincing argument with what you just played i'll tell you what he, he was the man now if i may yes like first of all you have many books out on hal leonard yes and speaking of vibrato which is probably one of the most tricky things you could ever teach in a book you do have a book on slide standard i do yeah yeah standard tuning slide, slide. slide standard tuning, which you just did yes I had to go surgically reattach my head after watching you play that. It sounds so great. For example, like on Shaky Ground, I think it's on the Live on the Radio album. Yep. And uh, you, you do a lot of stuff on there. And then you, I can hear you pick up the slide in the middle. It's like, yeah. Like Luke Skywalker picking up this ancient lightsaber. And, and preparing for battle. And obviously you must be in standard tuning. Exactly. If you have a minute here for us. Yes. Could you show us maybe so what are some of your tips for playing slide? You know, it's interesting, like a recent guest on this podcast here was Steve Vai. And, oh, yes. And when Steve, he's like, oh, man, I can't play slide at all. You feel like a guy like that can play anything. But it's astonishing to me how many guitar players either don't play slide or believe they can. Well, um, what's interesting about slide for me is I've always played it. Um, but... It, I wouldn't play it all the time live. So um, I've, I've played guitar, but played slide guitar for a long time in the different tunings as well. Um, but I just didn't feel I had like I had my own stamp on it. You know what I mean? Um, and then, and I didn't want to deal with the different tunings either. So uh, live meaning, you know, if I'm in the studio, I'll tune to open E or open G or whatever the case may be. Uh, so I would play standard tuning, and the, but the intonation problems bothered me. So I was like, eh, it's not quite it. Uh, mm. And then I remember I heard Derek Trucks, and he was very, very young. And I was like, well, there it is. You know, that's the shizzle right there. Uh, what tuning does he play in usually? Uh, he's in open E. Um, and even until after I, I did the standard tuning slide book, and I did, you know, I do a lot of different stuff in standard tuning. Uh, but Derek Trucks was always, uh, you know, and I love Jack Pearson from mini, uh, from uh, Nashville. Jack Pearson's a bad man. He plays in standard tuning a lot. And he does a lot of the kind of Dwayne, you know, uh, gospel-y type of, you know, amalgams as well. But Derek Trucks is a freak. And it really would always freak me out. Like, how could his, his intonation be so damn good, right? And then uh, one day I just sat down and I was actually going to figure out uh, one of his tunes that I was going to do without the slide. And then I thought, fuck it. I grabbed the slide and I started messing. And I realized, and I should have known this before, but he's so sneaky about it. But he's fretting with the slide all the time. Interesting. Uh, which totally makes things like, you know, like there's that one uh, East Indian tune where we go. So I always wanted to figure that out, but I was like, how do you get those pitches right on? And I was like, well, he's pushing down with the slide to get the pitches. So what you can do is you can start off with like, 
And when you go back down, you lessen the pressure, and then you add the vibrato. And that was with the slide pressing down, fretting. I mean, here's a, here's a classic example. So he, he does this uh, kind of like a major pentatonic thing that sounds like a gospel. Okay. Now, if I just went... And if I just did it like a regular slide... Sounds kind of wimpy, but when you press down... But you got to be careful when you press down. You can only press down for a split second. And then you got to bring it back up so that it doesn't sound choked. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, most people want high action for slide, but maybe in this case, slightly lower standard action is Correct. actually an advantage. No, and I've been doing fretting with the slide, but I do more like glissando stuff. Like if I'm doing like a, uh, let's say if I'm doing a version of Sleep While Rail. But that whole thing where you went, I first heard Sonny Landry through that. I thought, man, that's cool. But what I, but what's so sneaky about Derek is that he doesn't want you to know that he's doing, I mean, it's not a perfect, right. you know, it's not like he's intentionally going, I'm going to keep the secret. It's just that he's trying to do all of his different stuff without it sounding like glissando-y stuff. You know what I mean? So, but it really makes a difference. As like I said, that, that. pressing down with a slide to do that. If I don't press down, it's like this. Here's pressing down. Yeah. And then when he does those you know, ascending things, you're like... You're dead nuts on. And that's the thing that... Like, it's like you're adding the, the actual slide vibrato note where you're not fretting at the end. Correct. And the listener feels like everything else was that way as well. But Correct. it was actually fretted. Exactly. And that's how his intonation is dead nuts on all the time. And that, that was a revelation to me. <laughs> it's a revelation to me too right now. And, and then uh, I think a lot of people when they're playing slide, they don't realize how important the muting with the Well, the right hand, hand thing took a long time to yeah. get down. And... Um, uh, you know, I always saw Dwayne Allman doing this, but I remember when mm-hmm. I was in eighth grade, I, I bought a book on slide guitar by Arlen Roth, and, and he described this kind of picking pattern, and I've done mm-hmm. it ever since. Now, I've modified it. Well, I basically mm-hmm. just do what needs to be done. The basic template is, you know, your third finger's on the high E string, your middle finger's on the B string, your first finger's on the G string, and then your thumb is kind of relegated to the bottom three strings. And I'll stay there for the most part, but anytime I start doing any kind of faster you know, tremolous type of stuff between strings, I'll always kind of go to, you know, thumb and first finger because it's just easier to do that. So I'll just kind of go wherever I need to do that. But then I always go back to kind of ground zero. So if I'm doing like... Spectacular. Man, how do you how do you so get so deep into another guitar player's style and uh, are you obsessed and then yeah, I know you've got great ears and talent and all this wonderful God given stuff from from the Lords of 
cheese. Somewhere. The Lords of Cheese. Somewhere here. But uh, yeah, what, what is it? You, uh, you know, I, I... Who's the first guy you just obsessed over when you it was were was Henderson Clapton. Was, now, if you were explaining to someone who... You explained Clapton, but someone who say they understand music, maybe a classical musician who's never really listened to Hendrix, but they know what music is. Yeah. What would you tell them that it is about Hendrix that you love so much? Uh, well, not only is it mastery of the, of the instrument in his own way, uh, and what I mean by that is, I mean, and this is no denigration of, of anybody else, but like a guy like Steve Ray Vaughan, obviously brilliant player, very, very, um, I think, um, Tone-wise, the, the the probably the epitome of a certain Strat sound, obviously, you know. Um, but he was an amalgamator. You know, you listen to him play, and you go, "Well, that's Albert King. Well, that's Lonnie Mack. That's Hendrix. Right. That's Freddie King. That's Hubert Sumlin. You know what I mean?" Yeah. And he put it all together in a great soup. Wrote some great songs. Sang like a motherfucker. You know, great. You know, Hendrix. It's like you hear him play and you're like, well, that's kind of Albert King-ish. Oh, I see where he's kind of doing a, a, God, that's kind of weird. He's doing a Elmore James lick, but not with slide, but kind of adding it in. And oh, he's choking with it. What is he doing there? And always oh, he, he took this rhythm stuff from, you know, Steve Cropper and uh, Curtis Mayfield, but he's doing his, you know what I mean? So it was like he was a true innovator, didn't want to sound like these other people, but was influenced by them. And just kind of took it like next level, and then you put it together with the fact that he, you know, did stuff with feedback and fuzz and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you can trace back all the stuff he did to some other people, but the way that he did it was so totally unique that uh, he stands apart. And, and there's certain Hendrix stuff, like with Cream stuff, I could listen to him play clean on the yeah. middle pickup of a Strat forever. Like there, uh, a thing just surfaced of. Um, of him jamming at Ronnie Scott's uh, the night before he died. Hendrix? Hendrix. It just came, one of the guys that was in War, which is Eric Burden's band, where, where they were playing at Ronnie Scott's, Hendrix came and sit, sat in, and they're doing a blues. And if you think that Hendrix's powers were waning in the 11th hour of his existence, you listen to that and realize he gave a shit because he was with musicians he respected, and he totally did that thing. It was clean strat, middle pickup, those kind of pinchy harmonic things that he would do when he was playing clean blues with the big bends. And oh, my God, it's just uh, totally visceral. Is it on YouTube or something? Uh, It is on YouTube. And then I saw there's actually um, there's audio of it on YouTube. And then there's the story of the guy uh, I saw a film clip. I think it's on YouTube or they interview the guy. I was like, yeah, I I had this tape. You know, Hendrix sat in and he was totally clear eyed, seemed totally, you know, with it. You know, there wasn't this tragic figure. You know, he just came into jam and hung out and played and he recorded it. And and now all these years later, we can hear it. So, but yeah, Hendrix is, um, you know, there and there's people that do. I don't get it. He played out of tune. And it's like, well, first of all, you know, when he was alive, uh, he didn't allow any out of tune stuff to be heard. You know what I mean? It's like he knew right. when he was good and when he wasn't. And and back then, I mean, it was, I mean, the, the nature of the beast, I mean, it was so much the Wild West. I mean, you hear stories from roadies and stuff. It's like when they would show up to play, they'd fly into, say, Milwaukee to play at the scene downtown. Their gear is going through uh, baggage and the marshals aren't even in cases. The heads are going down the baggage. Oh, there's the head. Oh, here's the ca- here comes the cabinet. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. they show up and there's no guitar stands. There's no row. It's just pure adulterated Wild West set up and rock people's minds. And that's I so am into that as opposed to what it's become. It's just so 
corporatized and everything is so anesthetized to uncertainty. Life has become quantized. And yes. Life has become auto-tuned. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing the YouTube stuff that I do is because yeah. it's just organic, live, whatever happens, happens, you know? And you're talking about kind of like the Facebook Live stuff, Well, too? that and, and, and certainly the Wildwood yeah. videos. I mean, yes, there's oh, some yeah. editing here and there, but for the most part, they allow me to say and play whatever I want to do. And, and where are they? they have a couple locations? Uh, just one location in Louisville, Colorado. So yeah, you see, they fly you out to Louisville once a month, a and I do uh, I do four days a month, and we do. Look at that savage cat that is coming. Yeah, he's. I saw him on your Instagram yes. or something, he's and he really does look like a, a cheetah pup. Yes, cheetah kitten. That's the mighty Bilbo cat. He's a yes. savage beast. We'll have to take a picture of him. Yes. He knows when something's going on in this room because he always shines around. Like if there's a camera on, he like he'll go right by it. He, he digs it. Savage beast. Do you still uh, rep Fender and stuff, or is it? No, I mean, I, I, mean, I mean that's been a, a, an interesting thing over the years, and I mean certainly starting back in like 1994, 95, when I start, first started to do a few clinics for him a year. Um, you know, I was you know some people called me their ambassador, international, whatever. There was never an official title, and I was never employed by Fender Musical Instruments. I never had a guarantee. Right. You know, I was just. Um, um, a freelancer. And at one point it was discussed because I'd been doing it for so long and my kids were getting an old, a little bit older and I was like, well, you know, college is coming up. It would be nice to be able to hang my hat a little on something that I could, you know. Uh, but then they got new ownership and things have been uncertain there for, you know, I don't know, seven years maybe. Good news certainly, is certainly five on, years. I think they're on the upswing now. Uh, that well could be. I mean, I, yeah. I was just in Australia for them doing some stuff, but that was with the Fender Australia people. But 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 now they're not in there anymore, so I have no idea what will happen with that. Um, so I really don't do much for them anymore at all. Although I should right. say that's not true because uh, Wildwood is the the largest independent. Fender custom shop dealer in the world, so I'm still a big part of <laughs> getting yeah. rid of more custom shop guitars than probably any shop on the planet. So uh, there's Amazing. that, uh, but yeah. I don't I don't really do all that much stuff for them anymore. But you know, I had a good time doing it, and uh, but to be honest with you, the Wildwood videos uh, have been far better for my career as a player because. People actually just hear me playing, and and yeah. I'm doing you know my you know extemporaneous funny weird delivery, which I can't help doing because that's just the way I am. Uh, but it's become it's a much better vehicle for me as uh, as an yeah. as an artist, <laughs> if you will, than the Fender. Because all of a sudden you know, well you're the Fender guy. I'm like, well that's kind of that's kind of putting it in a box. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what's a typical day like at Wildwood when you go out there? Well, we do 25 videos a day. Uh, typically, they get me in the morning. Uh, we start shooting 9, 9.30. Uh, we'll go to like 3 or 4 in the afternoon, breaking for lunch. And uh, they literally just hand me a guitar out of the case, and I tune it up. Sometimes they tune them up for me. Uh, and then uh, they run the camera. They'll, on, the, on the actual screen, they'll put the serial number, the weight, and what it is. And then I just extemporize the rest and uh, talk about my impressions of the guitar. I play a little bit, whatever. It's awesome. So, yeah, it's like you're talking about, like, horse, your horse wrangler. Exactly. Horse trading. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And so I do it for four days in a row. Like, next Monday I'll go out there. I, I take an early flight out so I can spend another night at home on Sunday night. But I'll get up at, like, 4 a.m. and catch a 5.30, or actually 3 a.m., and catch a uh, 5.30 flight, be out there in the morning, go out for breakfast. We start shooting. We'll go all day, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I fly home Thursday night. 
Very and nice. uh, but those videos have got like, I think it's like 25 million views and yeah. yada yada, which in this day and age probably isn't that much, but you know, no, that's for guitar sorts, seems like a lot. That's you know? so much. And uh, and it's just been really weird how many people have seen those and yeah. and have, and have, and I really like and they're like, hey, thanks for doing those. I really enjoy them. And you know, it's, it's I'm sure you uh, get lots of people like, hey man, I bought that guitar you're playing in video number. You know, absolutely. Well, do you remember my guitar? You know, yeah. and, and sometimes I will, but for the most time, it's it's kind of hard. You know. Oh yeah, it's like Keith Richards and groupies yeah i can't remember every single yeah, one I, I wish i had that problem <laughs> <laughs> well maybe back in your pirate days back now. in the pirate speaking days. of pirate days or musically speaking at least so what how what how do you gig nowadays what do you do where do you play uh well that's interesting i the only place I really tour with the band is in Europe. And I'll go over there once, maybe twice a year and just do gigs. And I don't go over there for all that long. Next year I'll go over, f- I'm supposed to go in the fall again, but things weren't lining up. And again, I've got enough stuff going on where if it's like, okay, I'm going to stay yeah. home this October. Great. You know? uh, but I'm, uh, I go over there and I play with the band. I usually bring my trio, but, but currently, um, you know, my son plays drums really well and he's a blast to play with. And, um, um, he, he's a he's a pockety you know groove dude. Uh, so I've he's got cheap this cheap too, probably. Well, very very cheap, and uh, right under <laughs> the roof, as a matter of fact. Um, well, it's not the price; it's the cost. Let's just be clear on that. But, but yeah. that's another story. Um, and uh, I've got one. I'm doing gigs with the Old Tone Controls Band, which is my original lineup going back yeah. to 1990. Uh, drummer Gary Kaler sings and plays drums like a demon. Uh, Kevin Mushell plays bass and sings great. So that's kind of my vehicle for my more vocal-oriented music. If I had to, you know, everyone wants yeah. to pigeonhole stuff. I mean, it was always known as a blues band, but all the blues were, well, that's not a blues band. It's kind of like Little Feet is a blues band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Blues is at the heart of what they right. do, but there's jazz, there's funk, there's this New Orleans thing, there's... There's certainly a heavy dose of rock savagery. So that's what that band does. Uh, I've got this other, all these tunes that I've written with this guy, John Seeger, and uh, that will be a vehicle. I've done a record, plays well with others with him. Uh, much more song oriented, uh, but yet still, you know, rootsy and, you know, weird. Because all my yeah. chord changes are a little different. Because I'm like, why do stuff that's been done? You know, that's why, one of the reasons why, why don't you just do a blues blues thing? You know, why don't you just do it like a, you know, a trio thing and do it? I, I could, but I can't. You know what I mean? I just can't do it. I can't get up there and with a straight face talk about hellhounds on my trail and, right, and well. you know, and, and just play the obligatory, you know, blues pummeling. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it's just not my thing. So, I mean, it's part of what I do, but it's not. Yeah, you branch out from there into the gristlery. Yes, I want to have gristlery in my existence. So... Um, I, I, I want to start gigging more, and, and yeah. quite frankly, with the Wildwood and the Fishman thing, and certainly uh, the continuation of uh, the stuff I do for for Hal Leonard and so on and so forth. Like, <laughs> I can finally afford to play more. You know, ain't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is nice to be able to say no. I'm not that I'm making <laughs> That's a like shit ton of money, musician. but I'm making I'm making grown up money. You That's know what I mean? That's a great musician quote, man. I'm working so much I can finally afford to gig. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But it's true, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I enjoy playing, but you know, it's it's really kind of a weird thing. It's like I, I this buddy of mine owns this club up in a town in northern Wisconsin, and occasionally I'll play there, and he's like, "Why do you play here?" I'm like, "Well, it's fun to get out every now and again, but I do need to make some money." So I suggested going up there and trying to figure out some creative ways to make, you know, to make a little bit more dough. He's like, oh, my God, I can't, can't afford that. And, 
And I was like, yeah, I understand, but understand what you're forcing me to attempt to afford. It's like, you want me to play for a fraction of what I actually make, drive all the way up there, not to mention the years of time that have, you know, to to play. You you know what I'm talking about. It's the same old same old. And so it's it's, it's hard because you want to play, but you don't want to get played. Exactly. (laughs) And that's a difficult balance sometimes, you know? Awesome. Well, maybe we can listen to a tune off of... uh plays well with others speaking of playing yes you had uh, robin ford come out right yes he a came good one out with, to the cheese kingdom he did he came here and did a session uh we did i think he's on uh i think he's on three tunes uh actually a cool song called walk before you crawl that's a good one you got to walk you gotta walk before you crawl actually did a gig uh not last summer but the summer before i had this idea to do a thing with uh with robin myself uh roscoe and david grissom and my son on drums it was fabulous and we've talked about doing it again uh it's just trying to find time to do it and and i would probably have to do most of the footwork and needless to say that becomes that's footwork is definitely footwork is footwork so but it would be awesome i mean that's 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 a cool little but robin i i always and i told robin this i was like I've probably learned more from Robin Ford in terms of uh, applying theory. Not that I try to sound like him, although I right. love the way he plays, and I've got—I always have time yeah. to hear Robin Ford play, you know. Um, but I've probably learned more about how to, uh, you know, utilize, you know, how to play over altered dominant things and so on and so forth. Even though I was taught that stuff in college uh, by a very good teacher, it's just that at the time I wasn't quite ready for it in the way that right. I was later when I heard Robin do it. And then I was like, oh, I get it. And so... How would you uh, use an ultra-dominant? And- uh, like if I'm just doing a blues and G, and I'm doing a one, six, two, five. Uh, so if we do, uh, you can play that for me. So we go. Is that the fan making that vibrato? Yeah, sound? The, the, the fan gives <laughs> you kind of the like Doppler this, thing. The ceiling fan is. If you're hearing any, uh, <laughs> if you're hearing any uh, Doppler uh, rotary speaker type stuff, yeah. it's from the fan. That's Dude, about you got to bring this room on the road with exactly. you. Exactly. All right. Okay. Because I would hear that, you know, in, in shuffle tunes, when, when jazz people were doing shuffles, you know. I'd always be like. You know, I'd hear that stuff anticipating the four chord all the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so in the fourth measure of a blues, you know, I might throw in a diminished thing. I might throw in a whole tone thing. I might throw in a, uh, a you know, the melodic yeah. minor of... Uh, of the note above the root. So in G, I might do a G sharp harmonic minor to anticipate the forward. Which 
which I would think of as the G alter dominant scale instead, yeah. of, instead of G sharp melodic minor. Yes. Either, either way, same yeah, thing. Yeah, same thing, same thing. Uh, and same thing when I'm doing like a, you know, like, um, like Killer Joe's got a... So those two chords just going from from C to B flat. Over the B flat, I know. So if I'm over the C, I mean. I kind of describe it to people as, you know, over the B flat, it's, uh, I'm actually doing a, um, an F melodic minor scale. Okay. But I kind of just think of it off that B flat. I think it's a, it's a mixolydian scale with a flatted fifth. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, okay, well, I can do those triads work, you know, B flat and C triad. Or like a C9 works over the B9, so I can kind of do that as well. So if I'm thinking over that, that B flat, I can do this kind of, and Robin does his, you know, doing that augmented uh, arpeggio. I can do like a, a C9 arpeggio over the B flat or whatever. So that's some of the ways that I attack a... Uh, um, Altered dominant in no small part because of the stuff I learned from Robinsky. Well, you know, speaking of that kind of jump blues stuff, you have a great tune. Is it on on Strat's Got Your Tongue? Yes. It's a damn the, the damn thing. Yeah. The damn thing. Yes. Let's jam on that. Okay. What is that? Uh, that's just a. It's a B flat uh, blues. And that's pretty. All right, one, the two, the five.
all that fun you do all that stuff like all the sweeps and stuff but you keep it gristly since that's the word of the day well that's a, the, the one thing um that the that's actually a, it's a les paul thing there's a local yeah. guy named bill stone is a great jazz blues guitar player and uh has this band called leroy Airmaster, and i used to go out and see him when i was very very young and him and the harmonica player steve cohen who's i play with all the time and he's a just a demon on the harp got a lot of bebop chops you know and they would do this thing where they would do uh, kind of harmony <laughs> And I remember when I was in college at the time, I'd go home on the weekends every now and again from where I was going to school up north in Wisconsin. And I'd come back home to Milwaukee and I'd go out and see that band. And I'd hear him do that lick. I was like, man, I got to learn that lick because that's like a money shot of doom, right? Yep. And um, <laughs> so I remember I was in jazz band one day uh, and it was been, and people were wasting time. We weren't really playing a tune. And I went... Well, shit, that's it. And then I was—I uh, wrote a big band arrangement uh, as part of my schooling for, and I needed, and I wrote that blues. And then I harmonized. And then I thought, well, for the shout chorus, I'll do this, 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 the, uh, you know. And then I harmonized it up. So on and so forth. And then I just, when I recorded it, exactly. Put it in the harmony. Three, four. Uh, Two, one, and then. Damn like B flat, yeah. Yes, dude, that's that's very satisfying. That yes, had, yeah. There's definitely some cholesterol in that. Yes, yeah, a little bit of gristle for the kids. Now you never really seem to go for the. Are there any shredders or metal guys that ever hit you in the heart that you just moved? <sighs> no, it's it's just I just uh, you know what it was is that uh, because I mean I was born in '66, so by all intents and purposes I should have been. Shred, shred McCorkendale because that was, you know, 80s, graduated from high school in 1984. Yeah. I mean, smack dab in the middle of, of when metal was getting molten hot and, and bristly. Uh, but I was a baby boomer by default because I was the youngest of seven. I was kind of an oops. You know what I mean? Um, my brother was the oldest and I was the youngest. There were five girls in between. So I roomed with my older brother who went to high school from 66 to 1970. So... All of his records is what I listened to growing up. So, you know, heavy doses of, you know, Hendrix and Cream and the James Gang and uh, early Steve Miller and uh, uh, Graham Funk Railroad Live, that first Graham. Oh, my God, I used to rock out to that damn thing. Three shows with Mark Farner. You did? Yeah, yeah. Bless his heart. I'll tell you what, I got a lot of time for that fella. And um, Man, he lives nearby. You guys got to hook up. I'd love to. Uh, Anyway, so... When metal kind of came along, I mean, I had the first two Van Halen records. Um, but then I think when I actually saw them on MTV, I was like, because to me, and, and, and this is this is no, I mean, I have nothing but respect for Shredders because you have to, I mean, you have to have spend a lot of time in order to get that stuff played right. And there's, and anybody who works for anything, I'm, I'm all for, you know. Uh, but what was interesting to me, and I think uh, the, the description I like to use is that, you know, when you look at Jimmy Page, you know, he, he's like, 
he's like a magician. You know what I mean? There's like some kind of a paranormal metaphysical thing going on. Hendrix, same thing. You know, here's yeah. this guy, couldn't take a bad picture. And when he went on say they were like gods. You know what I mean? Yep. And there was definitely this kind of spiritual metaphysical thing about these cats. You know, you felt like you were tapping into the great beyond. Whereas the metal guys to me were more like, let's do as much blow and women as we can. And it was more about athleticism as opposed to this kind of yeah. otherworldly thing. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. Certainly <laughs> the other guys did plenty of blow and had women too, but it was just as a result of who they were. It wasn't the goal. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it was just part of what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, uh, and that's, and believe me folks, I'm not like being holier than I about it. It's just that that was why I never really got into it. Cause I was like, I don't, spandex, as you know, the Jimmy Page outfit, or Hendrix, you know what I mean? It's like versus spandex and scarves and permed hair. I'm not feeling it, you know what I mean? So as a result, I never, and the, and the music, I mean, I'm, I'm talking like I'm, it's only because of the look. It was just the whole vibe of it, you know what I mean? Right. And And I didn't like... Uh, well, let me ask you this: Are there any metal players that, for me, I'm when I'm thinking about it, like I don't, it's hard to name a metal player with just the killer vibrato, the way that the singing sound, that you, the vocal sound, right? It's more of like uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. And I, I love, I love all those players too, you know. But well, like, let's put it this way: I mean, my my favorite guy of that thing, and, and I actually told yeah. Steve I this when when I was on his label there for a minute, and. Uh, because he played on this Johnny Rotten record, what Ginger Baker played drums on. And the record was called Album. It was, everything was generic. The cassette said cassette, you know. <laughs> and, uh, um, and he played awesome stuff. And Ginger Baker was playing drums. Big room sound. It sounded awesome. Ginger and to Baker me, that was, yeah. it was... It was like a, a crazy... I was like, now that's cool, you know. Certainly, the stuff he did on the Crossroads soundtrack was was oh, yeah. awesome, and then the flexible stuff. I mean, I never had that record, but I was like, "Oh, that's cool. That's different," you know. Uh, and then I heard the Ingve stuff. I thought, "Well, that's impossible." Uh, but I again, I wasn't. I just it didn't attract me to to want to spend time doing it. Uh, and, and then, nice, of course, because nice everyone else was doing it at the time too. You know, as another thing when I was in. In high school, it's like the guys that were the music nerds, or that guys that were really into, yeah. they were all into Rush. And I was like, I wasn't into Rush because I was into Cream and Hendrix. You know what I mean? Yep. The police made sense to me because, like, well, that's, that's, that's cool, you know, using the trio as a, in a pop format, adding all these different world influences. That's cool. Uh, whereas Rush, the time, I mean, I get Rush a lot more now than I did then, and they certainly seem like cool dudes. You know what I mean? I watched that Rush documentary. It's like, now these are cool dudes, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it was that, uh, it, I guess because there wasn't the overt nod to uh, the roots music, the blues, the uh, the original rockabilly stuff, the country stuff that you can right. really hear in Pages playing, and certainly in Hendrickson of the blues stuff, and Clapton and Jeff Beck. I mean, Jeff Beck is as much as he takes things to the next level. You can hear all that old shit in everything he plays. Right. Uh, whereas you know a lot of those interviews I'd read back then, and I would just scoff that you know one of the metal guys would go, "I go back a long way," you know, like to Zeppelin, and I'd be like, "Really? <laughs> is that is that how far back you go?" <laughs> right. But then again. They played brilliantly, and they, you know, the chops and 
and all the creative stuff that was done uh, on the guitar during the 80s and certainly the early 90s uh, by the the Shredsman. I mean, it's just, it goes without saying that it's awesome, you know. Uh, but that's the reason why I just really never got into it all that much. Does that make sense? That doesn't sound too bitchy, does it? Not at all. I mean, I, you're connected to uh, the real vocal sound of your guitar. And whatever you do, even the crazy stuff, it's... Uh, I mean, I still feel every note that you play. Like, even if you play a bunch of fast notes... I re- I, they still hit me in the chest. Oh, I still well, thank g- you. get the pummeling that I'm yes! craving. Got to get the pummeling that you crave, you know? Look at this savage cat that has joined us. This cat's got spots, man. Yes, he is a Bengal cat. So, um, yeah, the first time I learned of you actually was from um, The Grip, which was on Steve Vai's Favorite Nation's it was. label. It was, and, indeed. Uh, that's when we were like, is it Koch? Koch? We're at Koch? What is it? Cockrock. There's the headline right there. Cockrock. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure that's been used before, but I think Matt went for that. We all went for that. Yeah. Brother Blackett. You know, I always say the the pronunciation guy, when I was a a kid, you know, my dad and my grandpa, my grandpa still had some, you know, because his grandpa was off the boat from Germany, he still had the proper, you know, Koch. You know, you get a little bit of, a little spit in there. But then we Americanized it and it was Koch. Uh, and everyone always said cock and cotch and all kinds of shit. Especially in Chicago. Exactly. And then I got up to music school up in Stevens Point, and there was a gal that was a violin player who had the same last name, and it was Kim Cook. And that was my moment. Right then and there, I could have redefined myself as Greg Cook, and no one would have said a word, and I would have had no problems from there on in. But I was like, no, that's not how you say it. It's cock. You like problems. So there, exactly. <laughs> I do like problems. So then I and then I did um, uh, my my publishing company is Rhymes with Chalk Music, and nice. I thought, well, that'll be good because then people. But then I have people calling me Kalk. I'm like, do you say Chalk? Of course not. <laughs> can't hey, win, Kalk. buddy. No, you can't. Let's listen to the title track of that, The Grip. Yeah. Why do you call it the grip? What's the grip? Well, at the time, I remember um, uh, a buddy of mine who's no longer with us, bless his, uh, was uh, Doug Nelson, who played with Johnny Lang. They did some dates with uh, they did some dates with Aerosmith, and Steven Tyler go, told him a joke. What's the difference between pink and purple? The grip. <laughs> and Boom. I thought there that's funny. But then they have a record called the grip or something like that, or get a grip. Get like, a grip. It's the right. same thing. Same. With some swinging swinging udders on the front of it. Yes, same premise. Well, dude, thank you so much for allowing a visitor today in this. Well, I'm glad. I have to say, uh, you live in the most beautiful place, man. Like oh, in this beautiful neighborhood, and it's so green it. and lush and cool it's, rainy day. It's and just you know we like the uh, we like the old style houses, and it's just oh. a it's a cool neighborhood, and we love it. Gristle paradise, man. There we go. You got to go. Well, thanks home. for stopping over. Thanks. For what should we play? Dude, anything to take what, it what out? Do with? Ah, uh, yeah, it's just a 12 okay, bar. One, yeah. two, three. <laughs> Thank you. 
So thanks for listening. Once again, I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning. Seems to happen because I'm so into these great guitar players. Greg Cock, my gosh. Anyway, yeah, my name is Jude Gold. This is a song of mine called Salamander. Check out the video on YouTube or Facebook or wherever because poor robot, he really meets a tragic end at the end of this video. I wanted to tell you that Greg's album, Vivid Gristle, is also available as a DVD. You can watch them track the album live in the studio. It's pretty badass. Again, the DVD is also called Vivid Gristle. And you know, I love Greg's, uh, those tone wah, you know, the tone wah-wah thing that he gets, but the pinky on the tone knob. Love his sound on that. I don't think my Telecasters have the same pot as he has on his. But the good news is if you pick up that Fluence set of pickups, the uh, gristle tone from Fishman, Fluence, they come with that tone pot on there. So you can get those crazy wah sounds. I'm totally into all that. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 recorder that I used to record this. I hope you guys don't mind the chair squeaks, the cats coming in and meowing and saying hi, all that stuff, the fan noise, the room reverberation. This is all about parachuting in from the helicopter into various layers to encounter the unknown. So yes, you get to hear all that stuff. Hope you dig it. Buzz from the Amps 60 Cycle Hum, whatever. Again, shout out to Amps and Axes. They interviewed me once, which I really appreciate. Another podcast, and they interview at length Richie Fliegler, all about Fishman's Fluence system of pickups, which is very interesting. Like he talks about how they're made and how he came on board with them. Everyone seems to be coming on board when they discover them. I know that I need to get a set of those for one of my Telecasters got to do it and try it out one other thing i wanted to mention is uh greg has a protege named jared james nichols fantastic young guitarist that we used to teach when he was at musicians institute in la he came out straight from milwaukee greg was his teacher and boy could you tell that greg was his teacher because he was one of the best guitarists of that class and he won a lot of cool contests and and he became managed by phil jargui who is uh a great dude who owns Swing House Studios. That's kind of the best prize of all. He won a couple of guitars and stuff, but really, one of the judges was Phil, and Phil's like, this kid's amazing. 21 years old, I'm managing him. And now, gosh, I think Jared's right now on tour opening for Zach Wilde in Black Label Society. How badass is that? Jared's got the goods, folks. So, there you go. Jared is definitely a lifer, and so is Greg, and I hope you are too. Hope you keep it alive till you're 95. See you next time. Bye.